Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Regina. Hi, Regina, compulsive reader. The first time I spoke at this meeting, um, the the um, the recording didn't work, and so I know I'm never going to beat that one. So if you were having to be here in the room when that happened, you're yeah, because it's not going to be that good this time. Um, that was epic. It's never going to be recreated. Anyway, um, so thank you for asking me to speak, and um, welcome to everybody who's new. My abstinence date is May 9th, which was yesterday, right, of 2007, and uh, so that gives me seven years as of yesterday. The most interesting part about that is that I totally forgot. What do you think that means? I'm not sure. <laughs> totally forgot until I walked in today. They're like, oh, birthdays. I'm like, what's today? Oh, it's the 10th. When is my abstinence date? I can't remember. Because I have the sobriety date, too, and that happened before. That my abstinence date, so I just can't keep track of all this stuff. Anyway, so um, seven years of abstinence in this program. And um, it's interesting, when I came into this program, I, I went to a couple of meetings and it just, I didn't stick and I left and I came back uh, months later. But the second time I came back, I stayed. So I'm a little nervous. Um, it's a 40-minute share, so please laugh at my jokes, um, even if they're not funny, because it's going to be an extraordinarily long time for all of us, um, if you guys don't participate by laughing. Um, so, so, all right, so I'm definitely a compulsive overeater. I'm definitely a compulsive overeater. I'm definitely a bulimic. I'm definitely an exercise bulimic, and I'm definitely a failed anorexic because I could barely manage to skip a meal here and there. It just was not, just never was something that worked for me. Um, but compulsive overeating, like, so, so my earliest memories of, like, issues with food are, like, kindergarten, you know, um, and finishing other kids' lunches, you know, and I was a fat kid, and I got made fun of, and it was horrifying, you know, and I, I never knew that I was actually supposed to have compassion for myself till like a few weeks, ago. I swear to God, like a few weeks ago, maybe a year ago, you know, and it was horrible, and, and there's a photo, I wish I could find this photograph, I'm sure my parents still have it, so um, I'm 46, so I was in you know, grade school in the 70s, right? So 100 years ago. So there's a picture of me, and I'm wearing this bathing suit, and it's like this little, it's like a little hippie, ba- I swear it looks like a little hippie bathing suit. It's like halter top, and then this like um, band underneath that is like crochet, and then it's like a baby doll to cover me up because I'm chunky, and it's like bright yellow, and I'm eating a fudgicle, and it's all down the front of my ba- my yellow bathing suit. And that was like me. You know, like, and I'm all happy, but it makes me cry even thinking about it because what a terrible time I was having as a kid, you know. And my mom's definitely a compulsive overeater, at least in my humble opinion. And she is a wildly untreated Al-Anon. She was raised by by really, really crazy alcoholics. You know, the knockdown, drag out, fighting on the front porch, police arriving, uh, the light bill not being paid, all of that stuff that was how she got raised. And that chaos was just brought right into the rearing of me and my sister. I also think my sister is an anorexic, but, you know, who knows, maybe not. 
none of my business, sort of. Um, <laughs> whatever. Um, so a lot of food stuff going on, a lot of craziness going on in my household, a lot of um, uh, yelling and screaming. My mom's Irish, my dad's Italian. Um, if you have any familiarity at all with that as a mix, you get me. Um, it's insane and loud and lots of yelling and screaming and a very fiery kind of household on top of everything else, you know. Um, my dad loves to scream and yell about nothing. Everything's an emergency. So, so when I wake up in the morning, like still sometimes I wake up in panic. You know, I wake up in panic, like the house is on fire. And as I've stayed in recovery in two, sometimes three, sometimes four programs, because some are sicker than others, um, you're supposed to laugh at that. Come on, guys. Help me out here. It's a tough crowd. Good Lord. Um, uh, as, I, as I've stayed in recovery, like, I can wake up in the morning and it's not always in a panic. This morning it was. You know, I had to, like, pray in my, you know, pray in my head. And I just do the ABCs, you know. I'm, I'm powerless over fill in the blank. You know, my life is unmanageable. And only power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. And God, please just guide me today. You know, and that will start to bring the panic down. But, you know, as a little kid, I really started, like, food. You know, food. I remember in kindergarten eating more than other kids, and I remember being the fat kid and being made fun of. Um, I remember my mom was never not on a diet, not once. Since I've known her, she's never not been on a diet. Every single phone call I have with her, she has to report where how much weight she's up or down. I'm not exaggerating. In a family very prone to hyperbole, I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> Every single phone call, I get a report on that, you know. And I just think to myself, God, thank God, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to be 74 years old on a diet. You know, I just don't want to do it. Um, and so I have these early memories of that and a lot of shame. The other thing that happened in my family is um, there was a lot of shaming. And I and I have some compassion for my mom because I think that's what happened to her. You know, I think that's what she was taught, was to be ashamed of herself. Um, I wasn't taught to be proud of myself. I wasn't taught to be happy with myself. I wasn't taught to love myself or take care of myself. I was taught to be ashamed of myself. And that's a really hard place to be. So, of course, and that's, I'm sorry, it's not, I could, could not, I couldn't live that way. It's an untenable situation to live in shame all the time. And I had to treat that, those feelings. And not only did I have to treat those feelings, but I also am bodily different from my fellows. So when I start to treat those feelings with food and sugar and binge eating and later purging, exercise, bulimia, which only, you know, that only works till about 35 because then, uh, you know, my body was just like, forget it. That you can't run enough miles. Somebody said to me once, you can't outrun your appetite. I'm like, oh my God, I can't. Um, it was true. I had a lot of, in, like, ongoing injuries from a lot of extra exercise. But as I started to treat those feelings, which I think everybody who has an addiction has, those feelings of fear and self-loathing and I had you know, I, all I want to do is be loved and fit in, be loved and accepted, and my greatest fear is that I'm, I'm not, won't, can't be, never will be, and I should be ashamed of myself for wanting those things. Not only did I have all of those feelings, like that's the human condition, and we as compulsive overeaters just have it in a really, really extreme version. So when I started to treat those feelings with food and other things, 
I also have an allergy. So the minute I start to treat them, the allergy kicks in. You know, one of my favorite things to do, favorite, favorite, favorite things to do is think about what I'm going to have for dinner. Because I can check out on anything. I'm having uncomfortable feelings in a relationship or uncomfortable feelings about money or uncomfortable feelings about my profession or uncomfortable feelings about what's happening in my family or fill in the blank, uncomfortable feelings about the weather. I'll just think about what I'm going to have for dinner. The good news is is that these days I still kind of like to do that, but I don't think about what I ate yesterday anymore. And that's a big, big, huge amount of recovery for me. Because as a bulimic, it's always about what I just did and needing to undo, right? And as an exercise bulimic where I just added up, okay, so I'm going to eat these amount of calories, and I'm going to run this amount. Can I run this fast? So that's going to be like 100 calories a mile. Don't write this down because it's not accurate. And then I'm going to eat this, and then I'm going to lift weights, so that's going to increase my metabolism by X factor of blah, blah, blah. And then the size of my pants are, I have to check the label again, and if I can do all of these freaking things, the spreadsheet, you know, then I'll be okay. That, that thought, that's the obsession of the mind. All of that calculation is the obsession of the mind. What did I eat? What am I going to eat? What do I weigh? How much am I worth as a human being? That was the calculation for me. And it always fell short. It always fell short. So, you know, I went through, I went through all, I had a little spurt like in junior high where I, I grew like, you know, six inches taller and leaned out um, for about a year or two. And then every year after that, I put on 10 pounds through the first two years of college. So by, actually by the first year of college, I weighed like 188 pounds. I remember being just aghast at that number. Aghast. And that was the first time I really tried to control and manage my eating. I started exercising because my sister and my dad are runners, compulsive runners perhaps. My sister and my dad are runners, and I'm like, I'll just start running. And so I did, and I started watching what I ate. I didn't know anything about it except what I learned from my mom, you know, on the perpetual diet. And so I just followed kind of her lead, and I started watching what I ate, and I lost some weight, right? So I lost some weight, and that was great, and it worked for a while. And then I went on a com- uh, like a commercial diet, and I gained it all back, and then some. And then I went on a commercial diet. Everything was in a box. I look at food like that these days, and I'm like, oh, my God, that shit's poison. Can I swear on the podcast? What? Really? What? I'm getting different answers. Okay. I won't swear that much on the podcast. Sorry. Um, but I look at that stuff now, I'm like, that stuff's poison. You know? And in those days, I just didn't know what to do. And that worked for a little while, and then I gained it all back, and then some. And, and of course, during this whole time, you know, I was drinking and using drugs like a fiend because I'm also quali- well-qualified. <laughs> well-qualified for um, other programs. Um, and so I think, you know, my sis- God bless my sister, you know, she taught me two things. Um, she taught me how to exercise, which I really actually thank her for because I, lo- I actually love to exercise. I love it, and I love it now in a healthy way or if I'm, I wake up and I'm really tired or really fatigued or uh, something hurts, well, not always, but if it hurts really bad, I won't go. And I don't marry my workout to what I ate yesterday anymore. I have those thoughts, but it isn't a compulsion 
or an obsession uh, like it used to be. Mm-hmm. But if I ate this, then I have to do this. You know, those if-then statements are starting to fall. they not starting, have really fallen away in my recovery. So I did all of those things. And, um, and oh, the other thing my sister taught me was that, uh, you know, God bless her because she told me about Overeaters Anonymous. Okay? And she told me about Overeaters Anonymous. I think it was about 30 or 31. And I was probably at my lowest weight and my absolute craziest, craziest I've ever been in my life. Um, and she told me about Overeaters Anonymous because I was really binging and purging at that time. And I said, I feel crazy, you know. And she said, well, check it. Maybe you might want to check out OA. And I'm like, what is OA? And so I looked and I found um, a related program to OA that suggests no um, sugar and no white flour. And I'm like, are you out of your mind? Like, I can't do that. Forget it. I'm not going to do that. And my sister then said to me, the only way to stop the binge is to stop the purge. And that really actually helped. Because when I was ready to stop binging and purging, I had to stop purging first. So this was all, you know, the progression of up and down in my weight. Up to, uh, in my first, second stint at college, I went up to 220 pounds. That's my top weight. I was at uh, college here in Los Angeles. I was miserable. I would, um, I arranged all my classes so that I could go on Tuesday and Thursday only so that I could, here's my regular day, drink all night, hook up with some stranger, feel more shame, wake up in the morning, binge eat all day, start over again drink all night and I would love to you know I would love to um, use compliments to my my drinking so I could drink more drink all night use drugs all night I was very promiscuous um, because I was looking for somebody to love me and I didn't know how to do it I would wake up and feel ashamed of myself and I would have to treat all of those feelings of shame that I had been experiencing since I was a child again and that went on for years and when I finally learned how to actually exercise and that, through my sister, my sister actually got me a gift certificate to a gym. And I started exercising right around the same time that there was a really great drug out there, pharmaceutical, that actually worked, although I do have a heart murmur left over from it. Um, <laughs> within a normal range, according to the cardiologist. Um, those two things happened at the same time. I dropped some weight really quickly from my top of like 220. I dropped about 30 pounds, and all of a sudden I knew how to exercise. And I started feeling better because exercising actually does some things for me physically and mentally. So I started to actually feel a little better, and my food got a little better, not a lot better, because I really learned how to maximize the exercise so that I could eat about 4,000 calories a day. Now that's like 4,000 calories a day. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. But you know what? That's just, I can't, I couldn't sustain that level of workout, especially drinking and using drugs the way that I did because it kind of kills your motivation to get up in the morning, you know, <laughs> when you're like bent over the toilet, not really purging, <laughs> but just sick. Anyway, um, yeah, it didn't really work. So 
So kind of the beginning of the end, you know, I, I had to get sober in, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous before I came here. You know, I had to because I couldn't get any consciousness around what was really happening with my food, my obsession, my allergy to certain foods, you know, my compulsive overeating until I got conscious, uh, you know, became aware and awake from the alcohol and drugs, which really were blocking me. And so that kind of opened up the door for me to figure out what was going on here. But everything kind of happened at once. The, the alcohol and the drugs went, got out of control. I stopped working out. I gained 50 pounds in a year. So that'll tell you how much I was working out. Um, and I kind of went off the deep end. And I was introduced to our sister mother, mother program, you know, the one, the one that started it all, um, through a colleague and through actually um, my ex-boyfriend, who was not sober at the time but carried the message to me uh, in spite of himself. And I started in that program. And it was great. Pink cloud. It was awesome. And I dropped a bunch of weight. Why? Because I wasn't drinking and binge eating all day long around the feelings that I was creating from drinking all night and all of that, right? So that cycle started to kind of undo itself. And I lost a bunch of weight in the first say, year. And I felt awesome. Yay, problem solved. Start, right? Started running again. Of course, I'm still wildly obsessed about my body. I still have bad behavior with men. I'm still completely doing calculations. But... Without seemingly without a lot of effort, I dropped a bunch of weight. Well, guess what, friends and neighbors, it didn't last. Gosh darn it! Otherwise, you'd have some other speaker here tonight. It didn't last. And about a year or two into my sobriety, about a year into my sobriety, I found sugar. Now, I've never had a huge sweet tooth before that. I ate a lot of carbs, ate a lot of fat, ate a lot of calories, really knew how to maximize in the smallest amount of food, maximize the amount of calories. My favorite. I bet I can make this have more calories. Um, and I found sugar. And I remember being in the office of a, a woman that I worked with, and she had, swear to God, like a salad bowl full of candy. Chocolate candy with peanuts in the middle with a candy shell around the outside. And I was in there just taking like a salad bowl. And I was in there and I put the bowl on my lap and I talk 100 miles an hour and just take like, we're not talking like one at a time, like handfuls and just like blow through God knows how much, right? And I'd be like, ooh, zing! <laughs> you know, I'm going to go have a coffee. <laughs> and, I, and I started to see how much I, because I had gotten some consciousness through working the 12 steps, right? I had started to develop a relationship not only with the higher part of my own understanding, but with myself, which gave me some consciousness and some awareness and some presence as to what actually was happening. And it didn't get better than either. And so I had a sponsor in another program, and... Um, I was at my house, and she and another fellow from that program were coming over, and I had just ordered takeout. One of my favorite things to binge on was takeout, right? So I'd ordered takeout. It arrives. No one's around. I can eat whatever I want, and I'm going to eat, purge, and then eat more. And so they arrived kind of in the – and I thought nothing of it. And they arrived somewhere in the middle of this whole thing. And I go, I go into the bathroom and purge and come out like – and finish, you know, pick up in the middle of the sentence that I had left it when I went in there, blah, 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 blah. And my, my sponsor in the other fellowship says to me, did you just throw up? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, I ate too much. 
And she goes, are you out of your effing mind? <laughs> I'm like, are you out of your effing mind? I said, I, I was uncomfortable. I ate too much. <laughs> She's like, what? You need to go to OA. I'm like, well, you need to go to OA. <laughs> However, it was the kick that I needed to actually go to a meeting. And so I went to a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous at, um, I think it's 14th and Pico. Do they still have meetings there on, I think it was a Friday night. Um, 14th and Ocean Park, 14th and Pico, somewhere in Santa Monica. And um, I went to the meeting, I'm like, this is nothing like my other fellowship. Um, it's there's not as many men here. In fact, there's like three men here. And um, yeah, I don't know. And so I went to like two meetings, and I was just like, I, I wasn't ready. I think I even shared about it in the po- from the podium at the other fellowship, crying, and I wasn't ready. And so I went home because I'm still going to manage it. Don't take away my food. I gave up everything else. F you, I'm not giving this up. I got this. Because I've done it before. I've lost 80 pounds five times. That's like 400 pounds. I'm a freaking expert. I'll just go running. So anyway, a few months later, what ha- a few months later, what happened was is I hit a very, very, very harsh bottom spiritually. And since I learned how to write... You know, as part of working the 12 steps in the other program, I wrote a letter to God. And I wish I still, I, I might still have it somewhere. I wish I still had it because someday I'll bring it to a meeting and read it. it. It's just, it was devastating. And, you know, it really started out like, dear God, F you. Because that's how I felt. I felt forsaken. I felt forsaken. I was overweight. I was single. I was miserable. I didn't see that it would ever get any better. It was all of those same things that I had as a kid. Unlovable, unwanted, ashamed. And it wasn't working anymore. You know? It just wasn't working anymore. And I'd written many Dear God FU letters before that. Never gotten struck by lightning. It's a prayer. It's still a prayer. And I believe that God can handle it. I think it gets God's attention, actually. Um... And the letter said, you know, I, I, I feel forsaken by you. I feel forsaken by my family. I was very angry at my family. I still have some of that. I've written a lot of inventory about it, and I still have some of that, you know, that I got raised the way that I did. I really try to be aware of not using it as an excuse to keep doing the same stupid stuff, okay? Um, I felt forsaken by God because I felt alone as a little kid, and I was. I was really alone as a little kid. You know, I had a key at nine. I look at nine-year-olds these days, and I'm like, they're babies. And I was really on my own. And so I was very angry at everything that had kind of gone on in the past, and I felt very hopeless about it changing. And all of this came out in this Dear God letter. And, um, and the next morning, you know, and I cried and cried and cried. And the next morning, I, I went to, I consider my first OA meeting. And it stuck. Because there was nowhere else to go. You know? There was just nowhere else to go. And um, I didn't want to come to meetings. I still don't want to come to meetings. You know? I like going to my other fellowship. It's fun. It's rowdy. 
Lots of characters. Lots of guys. I'm still interested in that. Um, whatever. I'm a human being. Um, and I didn't want to come here because there's so much shame around this for me. You know? A lot of, all of my self I, I never wrapped up my self-worth in whether I drank or not. But I always wrapped up my self-worth and what the number was in the label of my pants. That's where my self-worth came from, was the size of the outfit that I was wearing. And it was never the right size. And so I think that, you know, I've, I've battled, and I have, I've not been the poster child for this program at all. In fact, I've gone through periods where I'm like, I'm not going to meetings. Guess how well that works? <laughs> it doesn't work that well. And I remember that people who don't go to meetings relapse. And I really don't want to weigh 220 pounds again. I really don't, you know. And so I keep coming back. And there are some weeks when I don't go to meetings, and there are some weeks when I go to three, and I have to call my sponsor and go, I went to three meetings this week. <laughs> She's like, I swear to God, she wants to say I'm not throwing you a parade. But I swear to God, I expect, like, recognition for that. When I just have to actually recognize that I'm doing something for myself. You know, and I learned how to take care of myself through the 12 steps, okay? Through the 12 steps, I had to go, you know, the pathway to God is through me. There's a line in the big book that says, deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. And I'm not going to get there through some outside source or th third party or middleman. I have to go through Regina. And I didn't want to do that because I was ashamed of myself and thought I was unlovable, unwanted, unacceptable, all of those things. I was afraid by doing that process, which really is the 12 steps, that I was going to find out that all my fears were true. Thank God I had you guys, mm -hmm. kind and loving people around me. Even the ones I don't like and who don't like me still don't want me to compulsively overeat or drink, you know, in these programs, right? And so I had all of these people around me. I had support around me. I had people telling me, let us love you till you can learn how to love yourself. Good God, what a spiritual awakening that is, to learn how to love yourself. I was told not to love myself. I was told to be ashamed of myself. And these days, I have to take care of myself. And I do that by going to meetings. I do that by making my own meals. I do that by going to exercise. And doing activities and exercise that are kind and loving to my body instead of punishing to my body. I went to a spin class the other day, and the instructor said, It's bikini season, ladies. <laughs> and you know what? The, the, they were kind of interviewing this particular instructor. I was the youngest one there. There were just a few women. It was kind of an odd hour. There were just a few women in the, in the class. I was the youngest one there. And so when I left, the front desk said, well, what do you think? And I told, them, I told her about that comment. And I said, we don't do that anymore. You know, we just, I don't do that anymore. I don't punish my body. I don't hate my body. I don't go on a diet every spring. I just don't. I have to do nice things for myself. I have to get enough sleep. Sleep is like number one. I don't know. And the older I get, the more I'm like, holy crap, i got to go to bed. What are you doing? Go to bed. And if I don't, um, I wake up the next morning. I used to be able to do it on six hours. Forget it. Forget it. It's not going to happen. And if it does, I'm just not nice to anybody. 
at all. I already have issues with being impatient, so it gets way worse if I don't get any sleep. You know, I have to go to the grocery store or hire someone to go to the grocery store for me because I'm very much about help, getting help when I can. Um, you know, I have to do nice things for myself. I have to tell the truth. I don't even know what the truth is until I actually go through the inventory process in this program. I don't even know what the truth is until I actually make amends. Because then you find out what the truth really is. And I love the idea that I don't need to make amends to people that I didn't actually harm. Because making amends to people that I didn't actually harm is just drama. Okay? I have to have harmed them. Then I get to make the amends. If I didn't harm them, it's on me. I have to actually do something about my own behavior. Right? So... I, ha I didn't get to know what the truth was until I did those things. And then when I get to know what the truth is about what I want, like, will put up with, I actually have to say it and enforce it. It's really hard to do sometimes, being a people pleaser. And I'm only about this much of a people pleaser. For those of you on the podcast, I'm making a really, really small measurement. <laughs> Not that much. You know, but I, I want people to love and respect me and accept me. And I'm afraid of rocking the, the boat by saying the truth. And I was like that for a really, really long time. So, what is it like today? Well, today I went to yoga, and it was awesome. And when I need a break in yoga, I do the child's pose. And that's like a good kind of analogy for my life. Okay? I go and do what I want to do that feels good to me. For the most part, not 100%. I still do stupid things. Um, there are people in this room who really are familiar with some of that stuff, and they're laughing right now. Um, but for the most part, I make good choices about what's good for me, and I'm aware of the ones that aren't. And if I feel I'm pushing too hard or, get, oh, I'm in a client-based business, and sometimes they really, really are a test. I don't know whether to sponsor them or actually do my job for them. Um you know, I, I have to take breaks from some people, and I have to let some people go because it's just too much for me sometimes. So I went to yoga. Oh, I made breakfast first. I went to yoga. I went, made lunch and brought it with me to the beach, even though I was 10 minutes late to pick up my friend because I need – that's more important. Sorry, I'm 10 minutes late. But it was more important for me to bring my lunch because then I'm taking care of me. It was 10 minutes. We're not missing anything. The beach is still there. I went to the beach, wore a bikini, and I'm not comparing myself to everyone. I do look at other girls' bikinis to see if I like the bikini, not to see their body, okay? Um, and I wasn't self-conscious about being like the fattest girl on the beach. I have a picture of me. I think I was about 17. I'm on the beach with my sister, my cousins, and a girl cousins who I grew up with, and another girl. And there's a picture of all of us on the beach. And I, and I look at that picture, I'm like, I'm freaking tiny, okay? And I remember that day because I was so ashamed of my body. And I was so afraid that everyone was looking at me and wanted to ridicule me. And I look at it now, and I'm like, oh, I'd love to have that now. Um, but that's how crazy I was. You know? And so, and then I went home, and I made a couple phone calls, and then I showed up here, and I actually made it here on time. Go me. Um, working on my on-time performance. And then I get to tell you guys kind of what's actually happening for me. But the things that are the most important for me that I learned in this program, first off, I have to come to meetings. Much to my chagrin, I have to come to meetings. Okay? I have to show up. I have to be involved, and I have to admit to myself and to you guys and to God that I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, 
I have to look at what I eat if I want to maintain the physical recovery that I have and the mental recovery that I have. I have to look at what I eat. I email my food every night to my sponsor. I've done it for years. I think one time I didn't, I was in the, I'd had surgery. I was in the hospital. And a couple of times, and I mean like twice in years, I forgot or fell asleep. And the first thing in the morning, I sent it to her. Because I'm afraid not to do that. Because that's part of the, I don't know what's working here, but that's part of it. Right? Um, there are certain foods that, that just don't really work for me. Sugar is one of them. Like plain old refined sugar just doesn't work for me. Um, but, you know, as far as, like, we, we talk about abstinence and we talk about food plan and all that stuff, like, I think on the, on the OA website it says abstinence is defined as uh, refraining from compulsive eating and being at or working towards a healthy weight. That's abstinence as defined by our program. Everything else for me is food plan. Okay? So I don't eat sugar because it's like drugs for me. My head tingles. I'm not kidding. My head tingles, and I get a rush through my body. I also don't eat a lot of, um, like, processed food, and I don't eat a lot of um, wheat flour. If it's incidental, I'm not that crazy about it, but I try not to eat plain old white bread and white pasta. Someone asked me, why don't you eat white bread and white pasta? And I looked down, and I took a minute, and I'm like, because it makes me want to kill myself. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? And I said, because it sets off an obsession in my head slower than sugar gets me high but it sets off an obsession in my head so first I start to eat more of everything just more of everything and more often of everything and then I start to obsess and then I start thinking about how many calories I ate and then I start thinking about how much I might need to exercise that's why I don't eat those foods because I don't want to do that anymore because I lost a lot. There's whole, I think there's at least a decade of my life that I can't remember any of it. Drugs, alcohol, food, other behavior took me right out of consciousness. Okay? My sister would be like, do you remember being at blah, 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 and you were wearing this, and you were sitting next to so-and-so, and you ordered blah, blah, blah. This was like 20 years ago. I'm like, are you sure that was me? She's like, yeah, it was you. We had photographs. I'm like, what? I have no memory of a lot of this stuff, you know, because I was completely checked out. And foods like that will take me right there. Okay? So I try to stay away from them. And I also try to eat three meals a day. Because I need a beginning and an end to my interaction with food. You know? Instead of, I'll start in the morning and end at night. <laughs> I, need, I need to have, for me, that's what works for me to keep me abstinent, is a food plan where I eat three times a day. You know, I'm not in a lot of danger of skipping a meal, just FYI. Not, not in a lot of danger. But if I wake up late and my whole routine's off and I eat a banana for breakfast, I just the, the rest of the day is going to be a disaster because it's just not a meal, okay? Meals that look like meals. If I need a snack and by need, I have a scheduling difficulty, I have something work-related to do, I'm not going to get to eat dinner till 8 o'clock at night, I'm going to have a snack, so that I can focus on the appointment that I have at 7 o'clock. But a snack that looks like a snack, not a snack that's like a meal. Mm -hmm. The other thing I, I also recognize and am aware of is snacking to, to put off the meal. I'm going to eat a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this because I don't feel like making a meal for myself because I'm tired and I'm crabby and there's no food in the refrigerator because I haven't been taking care of myself. 
And when I get into that mindset of making my own meals and working, you know, and, and kind of abiding by a pretty loose f- food plan, just so you know, pretty loose food plan. Three meals, really don't eat a lot of snacks, stay away from mm, most white flour, no white sugar. That's about it. That's me taking care of myself. And then I don't have to worry about creating a lot more of those shameful feelings. Because I will eat over the shameful feelings. I will be 220 pounds. I'll be 320 pounds over those shameful feelings. And so the more I take care of myself in every aspect of my life, the more I practice these principles in all of my affairs, the better I take care of myself and the less the chances that I'm going to need to eat over it. And people are like, you don't eat sugar? I'm like, yeah, and I seemingly lead a full life. (laughs) Thank you.